Welcome to the Sleep Like a Boss podcast. If you're struggling with sleep and have tried everything that Google, your friends or Facebook groups have recommended and you're still struggling, stop looking for that one thing to fix your sleep. The human body is complex and one single supplement or lifestyle fix is likely not going to be the solution. Here on the Sleep Like a Boss podcast, we dig into all aspects of sleep for you and unravel the complexity. My name is Annika Carroll. I'm the new CEO of Sleep Like a Boss, and me and my team are here to end the epidemic of sleep deprivation. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Sleep Like a Boss podcast. I'm Annika Carroll, your host, and I'm excited to talk to you um, about a topic today that is the number one thing I address with my clients, because that is what gets you sleep and energy, and that is having a healthy circadian rhythm. And for that, I have Dr. Catherine Darley on the show today. Hi, Dr. Catherine. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you and have that conversation. You are a natural sleep expert. Basically, you help people get sleep naturally. You've done this for over 20 years. You've shifted now out of personal practice. You have created a number of amazing courses that people can go through if they want to improve their sleep based on the stages in their life that they're at, whether they're moms or they're uh, maybe older, they have teenagers, that might be a thing. We're going to talk about all these groups later today because circadian rhythms might be a bit different and there might be different challenges for people. And you also do something that I find is so necessary. Your courses also teach healthcare providers about sleep because that is where I often see that clients come and say, I struggle with sleep. My doctor says, maybe a sleep apnea test or you just stress men and do some yoga and meditate and you'll be fine. And they're not. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the work that you do. And let's dive right into your expertise. Great. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So maybe we'll start with what is a circadian rhythm? What's our circadian system? Yeah, so our circadian rhythm, circa means around and dia means day. So it's those patterns in our function that are around a 24-hour pattern. And pretty much every cell in our body has a circadian rhythm where it does more or less of its function at different times of day. One of, the th one of the examples that lots of people can relate to is our digestion. Our digestive system is set to be, to be active during the day. And if you're having your meals at regular times throughout the day, you can digest pretty well. If you, for some reason, stay up late, you're doing a project or there's a special event or you have to get up early, very, very early for travel and you're trying to eat breakfast before you head out, you're eating at a time that you don't usually eat, that's a time that you're usually asleep, that food is not going to be digested very well. And lots of people have that experience. And that just is an example of how that system is set to be active during the day and inactive at night. And pretty much all of our cells have this circadian function. Okay, so our body, so if we take that digestive example again, me and my nutrition background, and that's a fun example. So like just to maybe explain that a little more, the, what that means is your body knows 
um, or excretes, secretes digestive enzymes, for instance, to break down your food at a certain time during the day. And it will not at other times because you're supposed right. to sleep and it doesn't want to digest while you're sleeping because you should be resting and not digesting. Right. Um, yes. so that is part of the circadian rhythm and depending on what time of day it is, these hormones or digestive enzymes, whatever else gets secreted at those times. So how does the body know what time it is? So our circadian system is from the brain and down through the tissues into every cell. The brain is synchronized to the environment outside, and it's very susceptible to light and darkness signals. And that's why it's it's important, and I'm sure people have heard, you know, to avoid blue light in the evening. The reason is that in the natural world, the sunlight is gives much more blue in the morning. And so our body responds to blue like with a, oh, it's time to wake up. It's time to go into the most active part of our day. So you don't want to be getting this artificial blue light at night. You want to be getting blue light in the morning by going outside. And I really encourage people to go outside periodically throughout the day 20 minutes in the first two hours of the day. And then every couple hours, take a 10 minute sun break. Even if it's overcast, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, it's overcast many days of the year, but still outside gives uh, usually 10 times, 100 times more light than indoors. And importantly, it gives the right wavelength, more blue light in the morning, more of the red hue in the evening. And that red hue signals to our body, okay, it's uh, night is approaching, it's time to start switching into that restful sleep physiology. Okay, so it's basically the, the play of dark and light so the sun being up or the sun being down, that yeah. signals the body what time it is. And yeah, with that, so it, it knows the brain. it signals the brain. And with that, it knows, okay, let's digest or let's get ready and excrete hormones so we can go to sleep, right? Because I think that interplay um of cortisol and melatonin of being awake and being asleep is very much linked to the absence or the presence of bright light. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And melatonin, I didn't mention, melatonin is called the hormone of darkness. And in naturalistic light conditions, which is not in a built environment, but if you're camping or something of that nature, in a naturalistic light condition, which means firelight, candlelight, darkness for those hours before bed, our melatonin can start to rise so that when we get into bed with the intention of sleeping, our melatonin is still somewhat elevated. And so we can easily fall asleep. What's happening now for many people, it's a uh, 85% of people around the world, so the majority of us have artificial light at night. So we're not, our melatonin is not having the chance to start to rise in that time before bed. It doesn't, it can't rise until we get into bed and turn the lights off. And that is one of the reasons why it can be taking people longer to fall asleep than 
they would like and then is comfortable. Plus, I think like melatonin is a huge antioxidant, right? So it has lots of other functions in the body on top of making us fall asleep. And oh, yes. I know there's discussions. There's, I think, in a, a group of researchers now looking into actually doing something about LED lighting and light bulbs that they really want to have. Because there's so much research that it shows that light exposure at night is not good for us. Yes, right. So um, when we're not getting this blue light signal, the pineal gland, which is deep in the brain, can secrete melatonin. And it, there's this pulse of melatonin that peaks about four hours into your sleep period. And that melatonin first goes around the brain, brain and, and um, makes us drowsy. And then it enters the circulation and goes through our entire body Every cell has melatonin receptors. And so this pulse of melatonin at night goes through the body, binds to the receptors at the cellular level and signals it's nighttime, time to switch into nighttime physiology. And that's why one of the reasons why our cells will go into more of a rest phase, uh, the majority of them, digestion, et cetera. And yes, melatonin also is secreted and um, produced in the cells. That melatonin that's produced in the cells just stays in that area. It doesn't go into the circulation. So cells are also making melatonin and that's where we see it as one of the most strong uh, antioxidants uh, along the lines of vitamin C or glutathione, equally powerful it is a strong anti um, anti-inflammatory which we certainly need uh, as we age for health there's a concept of inflam aging inflam aging where aging is contributed to by inflammation so we certainly want our melatonin levels to stay at their natural um high levels as they would be without electric light so that we have that anti-inflammatory effect. They also are neuro, is, it's also neuroprotectant. It works at the mitochondrial level, many, many good um, purposes that melatonin is doing throughout our body. Yeah. And we want to support secretion as much as we can at the right time, right? Like we want that circadian yes. rhythm to work well. So cortisol, high early in the morning or healthy high, right? So we have energy and then melatonin coming in later to then get us to sleep and recover overnight, right? Does exactly. that, is that always like that? Like, doesn't matter if when I'm born, but babies have a bit of a different circadian rhythm. They sleep a lot. They don't have, don't have that clock figured out yet, I think. But then I'm like, let's start, I'm starting to go to school. I'm becoming a teenager, puberty. I'm getting into my 20s, 30s, 40s, like how does, does that change throughout life? Does the circadian yeah. change? Yeah, so there's a, a concept called chronotype, which is, are you a morning person, night person, or neither, middle of the day, where you're, you know, a morning person is gonna fall asleep earlier than average and wake up earlier. And then that's you, <laughs> Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, night person will, 
fall asleep later than kind of social norms mm -hmm. and therefore need to sleep later in the morning. And we do see a really significant change in chronotype during adolescence. And actually at the very beginning of puberty, before you see breast bud development or rapid growth, um, getting broader, whatnot, you'll see that a child will start to become more of a night owl. And from the age of 10 on till 21 for women, 22 for men, they will shift. So they are extremely night owls. And then over the next decades of adulthood, we will gradually shift to be more morning people. Uh, but you know, it's really, you know, one of the things that I um, feel adamant about is sometimes teenagers get blamed and shamed for being night owls. And this is not their fault. It is just um, an aspect of puberty and adolescent development. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, if they just wouldn't be on their phones late at night, Actually, this change was first really well documented and understood in the mid 80s, which, you know, there were no personal devices. Yeah. There weren't there weren't even really home computers. People had TVs where they could have gotten some blue light, but incandescent light bulbs, which have much less of an impact on melatonin, were present in the homes at that time. And still we observe this um, very extreme swing to be a night owl and um so it's it's not just per people's personal habits that cause that i guess it does make and i totally because I, I have a 10 year old and he's not at that point where he's doing gonna, doing that so knock on wood <laughs> but i totally get it because as parents i find we get to a point where it's like oh my god it was a long day you know like 10 10 10 30 11 I would like to go to sleep but my kids up there till one two in the morning and I'm concerned and that I totally get about the next morning because we while naturally we would have them sleep in longer and that is what often happens on the weekends then you don't see them coming out of their rooms till whatever time they'll have to get to school on time right right and there's so what ends up happening is young people um adolescents they can't fall asleep until late because their body clock is just not ready to sleep but yet the school start times are squishing their sleep so they're actually the most sleep deprived age mm -hmm. group it's 90 percent of high school seniors are sleep deprived and that has a really big impact on their ability to function well academically socially get along with people learn impulse control and um you know physical injuries on the sports field or if they're new drivers uh, are associated with that sleep loss. There's there's actually a wonderful nonprofit that I've been in, involved in called startschoollater.net. Mm -hmm. They're US-based, but there's other um other organizations in other countries that are working to have evidence-based school start times. The recommendation for middle school and high school is 8.30 a.m. or later uh, is, a, is a better, much better uh, school start time. Yeah, and I've seen that for some states in the U.S. where they're starting to push later. Because I remember when I went to school, like at least high school, we had to be there 
whatever the weirdest start time, but 7.50 was the start time. And that was in Germany. And here in Canada, everybody, or at least in our province, everybody starts at nine o'clock where I find that late because I'm an early person. And my main energy would be like, if I could work from seven to nine, I'd get most of my stuff done. Um, so, but no, kids are not at school by then. I have to get them there. But from a from them being able to manage that sleep deprivation a little better, especially for the, for the older ones. Right. I think that's actually, yeah. that's actually good. It's for them. It's, it's, it's probably still not ideal, but as much as we can do to push it as far back as we can. But is there something with teenagers when we say, um, this is their natural state of functioning at that point, because they're, cortisol and melatonin are released at those times and that shifts them into this night owl state. If, is there any way we can support that with like making sure they're not on screens till one in the morning or on gaming on the computer till one in the morning. So like avoiding some of the bright light, is that interfering with that or is that okay to do just to help them maybe get tired a little earlier? Yes. So long as, you know, I think I love the way that you phrased it to support them to get tired a little bit earlier. You know, think about if you ask a teenager to fall asleep at 10 or 11, it's like asking an adult to fall asleep at seven. Yeah. Most of us would not be able to fall asleep at 7 p.m. no matter how much we we tried and no matter how much our parent yelled at us, right? <laughs> It's just not going to happen. But, you know, yes, it's not realistic for kids to fall asleep at one or two and get enough sleep. So one thing people can do is have the young people wear blue blocking glasses. Wearing these from 9 p.m. on has been shown in some groups to shift their sleep earlier and increase their total sleep time. So um, with blue blockers, have your young people wear them from 9 p.m. on. And then, um, you know, there's many different brands out there. You want to make sure that they have a reddish lens like mm -hmm. this. The reddish orangish lenses work much better than the ones that look more clear or opaque. Um, these are more evidence-based. So that's what you want to have for your uh, teenagers. And, and I really think that they can be helpful for people of any age who are having difficulty falling asleep as early as they want to fall asleep to wear those for two hours before bed. That's great. And I'll link some below that I would recommend. I also, what I've done with my child, I'm putting, I've put screens, blue light screens, um, tested ones because I think there's a lot of stuff on the market that's not so great tested ones on the phones you can't see it it's like the screen protector that you normally put on it's blue light blocking we have it on the iPad we have it on the computers and my son just got his own little tablet thing that doesn't have the filter and they don't exist for in that size and he's like mom my eyes hurt so even during the day like if your kids the blue light I love the blue light blocking glasses I think they make a huge difference for everybody to be able to fall asleep because there's just blue light everywhere at night um but even put screens on the on the devices because that will already even during the day help them with that and it just absorbs a little more throughout the day and because we don't need this artificial light but it's just a Right. I'm, although I would, I'd like to give another bit of information. You know, we, 
we have darkness deficiency at night and we have light deficiency during the day. That's because our, you know, our, our offices, our homes are just not light enough. And one tip you're supposed to be getting 250 lux at least with blue light during the day. Uh, A lux is the measure of one candle flame. So 250 is bright, but outdoors is often a more than 10,000 lux. And I was talking with a lighting designer about this. He said, most people, if they went into a room that was 250 lux, they would say, it is too bright in here. Turn down the lights. So uh, going outside for those light breaks is really important. The other thing that you can do is on your phone, you can download a free lux meter and just hold the camera function right at your eye and measure. I did this myself in my office uh, a couple days ago and uh at my desk, even with a screen here, overhead lights, lamps, etc., it's only 160 lux. Wow! I went out, yeah, I went outside and it was 10,000 lux. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just you know a measure of you know we need the light during the day, and we can't you know if you're only focusing on eliminating blue light in the evening, that will have some. Uh, positive impact, but you also want to be focused on getting sun during the day. That natural light, right? Yeah. So teenagers, so we covered teenagers. How about, there's two other groups I would love for you to talk about a little with chain, like struggles, I think with sometimes with circadian health or circadian rhythms. Um, The one is shift workers. The other one is aging population. Cause I see so many women and this might affect men too, when they get older, and I'm I'm picking a number, I might be wrong, like 60s, that they're like, I like this is the weirdest thing. I'm I wake up so early, um, but I'm actually not that tired. Do I just and then it's always the question, do old people need less sleep? That's always the conclusion that kind of comes from that. So yeah. do we want to go into shift workers first? Uh sure, let's do that. So the one of the difficulties that shift workers have is that they're usually trying to switch back and forth, mm-hmm. right? Where they're sleeping in the at night when their family and their household and friends are sleeping on their days off. And then they need to sleep during the day when they're work, on their work days. And our body clock can't shift that fast. Uh, this is a rule of thumb that your body clock can shift at most one hour per day. So if you fly from here to Europe, it's eight hour time difference. You're doing it all in one day. And that's why you have jet lag is because you just, your body clock cannot adjust. And then once you're there, you're getting light and dark cues at the wrong time. And your body clock is like, whoa, where, what, what, what? Um, And shift workers basically get into that situation where they're switching their sleep by you know the eight hours twice a week and uh that just doesn't work so there are strategies that work uh, for shift workers one is the primary one is to create a block of four hours that they're always sleeping regardless of whether it's a work day or not so for someone who's working overnight and getting home at uh you know by eight in the morning on their work days, maybe they sleep from eight in the morning until four. 
And then on their days off, they stay up late till like three or four in the morning and sleep from four until noon. So that means all days of the week, they're sleeping in that window between eight to noon. And that allows their uh, body clock to shift enough that they can sleep well during the day and uh, also be more alert at night. That is like, that's the key thing. And then having the right time of light and dark and um, melatonin pre very precisely timed can help. Um, there is a field called behavioral sleep specialists. And if you are a shift worker and you want to do some of these strategies, I really recommend that you consult with a behavioral sleep specialist that you can find them at behavioralsleep.org to get the right timing for all of these interventions for your situation. Um, I don't want to go any further into um, into specifics just because it really, you know, lots of people take melatonin but they're not taking the right dose or the right timing yeah. or the right format. And all of those things matter. You know, the dosage, the timing, is it time released? Is it, um, is it immediate release? You know, all of those things make a difference and particularly for shift workers. Um, you know, there are some health increased health risks that shift workers, uh, should be aware of just so they can make sure that they're getting adequately screened on a, a, a more often interval and getting uh, preventive health and supportive health care around high blood pressure. Women tend to have more irregular menstrual cycles and uh, can have reduced fertility and some increased pregnancy complications if they're doing shift work. So that's also something to be aware of. Yeah, and that really goes to back to that point of circadian health and release of hormones in right amounts at the right time. If your circadian rhythm works properly and for, for talking fertility issues, then that is definitely linked to are your hormones being produced and secreted at the right time because you're exposed to light and darkness. Um, can I just add one quick point to the shift worker discussion? Because when I was still in my um, corporate human resources role ages ago, and I used to be HR director for a manufacturing site. And we were actually producing 24, 24, six, not 24, seven, but 24 hours, almost six days a week. And um, what we had, what we had gone in, we, we got trainings on how to put like optimal shift schedules together for the people to minimize health risks and all these things. And the one other thing, I think most companies do that now, but I'm not sure if everybody does, is that you always rotate forward in your schedule. Right. So you right. go from you go from if you work the early shift, your next block should be the late shift, then it should be the night shift, then it should be the early shift again. You should never try and go backwards because your body just doesn't do well with that. And back and forth would be for for circadian health probably complete disaster because the body has no clue where it's at. Right. I said that the uh, central pacemaker of our circadian rhythm is deep in the brain and it needs the sunlight and the environmental cues to keep us on the environmental day. That central pacemaker is actually a little bit longer than 24 hours. And so that's why it's much easier for human beings to stay up a little bit later than it is to go to bed 
early. And that is another reason why we just really have to get those light signals during the day to, to synchronize our brain with the day. Yeah. And basically kind of set our internal timer, right? Like, cause there is yes. no body clock per se. It's just, it all comes from that light. Um, okay. Let's talk about aging. Yeah. Does aging. it change when we age? Does it change? When yeah. We age? I'm so glad you brought this up because, uh, you know, I feel like I feel like it's important public service announcement actually to let women know and the people who love them know that women after menopause actually have some of the highest rates of sleep disorders. And you know, there's uh sometimes people feel like I'm just not sleeping well, or they may be treated like, oh, you're just not sleeping well, when there's an actual sleep disorder diagnosis going on that needs to be specifically treated and no amount of meditation or sleep hygiene is going to address that. There's actually 58 sleep disorders. So if somebody's been working on their sleep, doing all the recommendations for a month or so, and they're not getting traction, I would definitely encourage you to go to someone who's knowledgeable about the fact that there are 58 sleep disorders and see what's happening. Um, the ones that I'm particularly concerned about as women age is after menopause, women have a greatly increased risk of obstructive sleep apnea. The estrogen that we have in our reproductive years is actually helps our airway stay toned. And after menopause, we don't have such estrogen to help us keep a toned airway. So it's more easily to collapse in obstructive sleep apnea. And there's some other mechanisms too. Uh, and then we also see a greatly increased risk of um, restless leg syndrome. That's where people are feeling like they just have to move their legs in the evening. It's usually relieved by movement. It's worse in confined spaces or sitting like in a movie theater or a theater in the evening, it's going to be worse. And it's, um, increases up to 50% of women, um, in their sixties have restless leg syndrome. So that needs care. Um, and then your question about do people need less sleep as they age? That has been an open question for a very long time. I just uh, a couple months ago looked at the literature to see, you know, where do we stand on this question? And the most recent is that people as they age probably need the same amount of sleep as when they were in midlife but they're not able to achieve it because their sleep system has broken down. Uh, so that's, you know, something to aim for, you know, keep aiming for that eight hours or what, whatever you needed to get when you were in your forties, uh, you still want to try to get that amount of sleep and do, you know, the strategies that we've talked about to strengthen your circadian system. I mean, one of the things that we do see with aging is that the uh, circadian rhythm becomes less pronounced, less robust. Um, you know, a young person, they'll be widely awake or deeply asleep. A senior will be somewhat awake, somewhat asleep. And so do getting those light cues is really going to help. And the other thing to know we haven't talked about is, you know, I, I did say that there was the central pacemaker in the brain, and then there's all these levels from the tissue level down to the cellular level. 
the levels within the body are less influenced by light and dark cues, more by having a regular routine. Mm -hmm. So you want to have your meals at the same time. Ideally, uh, you know, breakfast should start in the same 30 minute window across all days of the week or the month. You know, if you if you're eating breakfast between 730 and eight on work days, that should be your time on weekends. Uh, same for lunch, same for dinner. Exercise will also be a time cue for your uh, circadian clock at the tissue level. So you want to have it either morning exercise, afternoon or evening. Uh, it doesn't have to be quite the same hour like the meals should be, but the same kind of block of the day. Great. And and what about an exercise? Because that question comes up uh, often. How about exercising at night? Is that a good idea? Yeah, so if you're exercising after 7 p.m., it's going to shift your body clock later. Exercising before 4 o'clock in the afternoon will shift your body clock earlier. So I think that's a good practice just because we do get so much artificial light at night that shifts us later. We're doing whatever we can to um, behaviorally to shift our body clock earlier is probably a good idea. Same thing with with um, meal times, that like if you skip breakfast and you start your uh, meal intake with lunch, it's going to shift you to be more of a night owl. And that's one of the problems that teenagers have. You know, they're getting up so early at a time that their circadian uh, system is set not to be digesting that they don't have an appetite. They're like, uh, breakfast at seven in the morning. It's just going to sit there, you know, and so then they don't eat maybe until lunch. And that's just another factor that pushes their body clock later. Yes. And I think that's generally also for women. I see this often that either they wake up without an appetite at all. They're like, I'm not even hungry. Okay. Your body is out of sync. We're going to have to work on get and getting the stress down because those are all signals that you should be waking up with an appetite. Technically, that's a good sign of that your body is functioning. Then if we, there's a lot of women who fast for maybe body composition change, like they want to lose that belly fat. They have heard that intermittent fasting is a great thing. Like those are really important pieces of information that I think often get not told that can you intermittent fast? Yeah, you can, but you have to know what you're doing, especially as a woman, when in your cycle, yeah. how healthy is your circadian rhythm? How good is your sleep? Um, are you stressing the body more because you are, because fasting is going to raise your cortisol. And if you're doing that too late in the day, it's exactly, and then you're going to try and go to sleep is exactly what you just said, right? We've shifted the circadian rhythm and we're just really going to struggle potentially getting enough restful sleep in if we don't play with the meal times and the exercise. Yes, the I totally agree with you. So many people tell me that they're doing intermittent fasting and there are lots of health benefits, but from a circadian and sleep standpoint, you want to start your intermittent fasting with breakfast and, um, you know, and then stop eating in the early evening or early, you know, late afternoon or something, you know, if somebody's doing an eight hour, um, eight hour meals and then, um, 
16 hours fast, I think that's fine from a sleep perspective. It's just that you want to start at breakfast, unless you are a night owl and you want to be a night owl and you're on a night um, a night schedule, but more people have difficulties falling asleep early and getting up early as they would like. So yeah, breakfast. Yeah. And I think the other thing, um, houses unfortunately also how society dictates right like we have to like the school is one example but even work right if we're just taking adults if you're not a shift worker and you have to be at the office at 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning you might have to get up at 5 30 or 6 if that's your ideal timing for your body or not unfortunately a lot of employers aren't that flexible and a lot of systems that yes. created don't work that way so i think if you then can optimize your nutrition and your movement in a way that it still supports your sleep best and you're not working in even against those structures because that's just going to make it even harder for you yes right i think that's a great point these principles are true for people of any age what about so what are a few things like your what would be your top threes for people to look after their circadian health to get their energy up to improve their sleep, what would you have them do? Yeah. So I think about it as a sleep healthy lifestyle that you, you know, your lifestyle through the day is going to shape your sleep at night. Uh, so I would have the routine be uh, waking up at the same time, all seven days of the week, which may mean as late as possible on work days, right? Um, waking up at the same time within 30 minutes is ideal. Uh, bright light within the first two hours, meal times um, that are distinct without just snacking, but you know, three or four, however many is the right number for you, meal times that are distinct and are at the right at the same time, again, all seven days of the week, getting those light breaks uh, every two hours. I what I do in my household is I set a, a timer and like I have, you know, I'm self-employed, so I'm I'm my own boss, and I have to take a break and go outside myself and take the dog uh, every two hours, and then um, the last, and then of course the blue blocking glasses for the two hours before bed, and then I also like particularly for people who are busy, women, you know, can have a lot of roles and responsibilities in their life to frame that sleep time is just for rest. It is not time to think things through. I think, um, you know, many busy people can get, so they're like busy, busy, busy until they quickly brush their teeth and hop into the bed. And it's their only time or their first time that things have truly been quiet mm -hmm. and nothing's been asking for their attention. And so they end up processing their day and we all need to process our day, but you know, if you're do if you're waiting until bedtime, then it's going to seem like, oh, it's taking forever. And I have a racing mind because it's more of a reactive um, default kind of situation. What you want to do is process your day proactively. And I like people to do like a 10 minute brain dump onto the paper and then have established some limits and some boundaries. And, you know, when you get into bed, if your mind gets, starts going, you say something like, I already thought about that. 
I will have time tomorrow. Now is my time to sleep. And, you know, we all deserve time off duty. We do. We all deserve time off duty and sleep is part of that time. Yes. And we don't need to earn it either. It's just, we just need it. Yeah. And deserve it. I, yeah. I like the word deserve. Like, you know, we all deserve it. I know everyone's listening is doing their best and you deserve time to sleep. And, you know, I also know that that's not always, you know, we have people in our homes that need care sometimes. Young ones, people who are ill, elders, you know, sometimes you are responsible for caring for others or helping them in the middle of the night. But, uh, you know, if you're, if it's your mind and your thoughts keeping you up that you can proactively put into your day. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Those are amazing tips. If people want to find you, look at your courses, look at learning how to get their sleep back on track, how can they do that? Yep. So um, you can find me at skilledsleeper.com. I have courses that I've designed that are unique and targeted for different populations because different groups need different sleep skills. There's one specifically for shift workers. There's ones for family. There's one for women, uh, different demographics. And then I'm on social media at as skilled sleeper, Instagram, TikTok, and I have a new YouTube channel. So if you like to do kind of a deeper dive, you know, eight to 10 minute video on a topic, I'm putting up one new video a week and then I have a live on Saturdays. Awesome. And you also have a little gift that you wanted to leave the audience. Yes. Yes. So uh, I created a a downloadable guide that is worksheets and a little book that you can go through to start tuning up your sleep, you know, has red flags of sleep disorder so that if you have any of those uh, symptoms, you can go, oh, wait a minute, I didn't realize that was a thing that is actually a diagnosable disorder. And so you could take that sheet to your healthcare provider and say, hey, I did this questionnaire and I think I need further evaluation. And then there's uh, how to design your own healthy sleep routine. Great. And we'll put the link for that in the show notes and below the video. So thank yeah. you so much, Dr. Catherine, for having been here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Annika. I really enjoyed being here. And thank you everyone for listening and watching. And we'll be back in a short little while. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sleep Like a Boss podcast with me, Annika Carroll. Be sure to follow and listen wherever you get your podcasts. We also invite you to play the game of sleep with us, if you haven't done so, at sleeplikeaboss.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only. We hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time and to a good night's sleep.